Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the Green Party's new leader speaks today with reporters. We have to recognize that this is an historic moment. We as Greens, yet again, once again, are leading the way. We have done something that has never been done before in Canadian politics. Does Donald Trump's experience with the coronavirus highlight the different responses to the pandemic between Canada and the United States? I came here, wasn't feeling so well. I feel much better now. We're working hard to get me all the way back. I have to be back because we still have to make America great again. We've done an awfully good job of that, but we still have steps to go and we have to finish that job. And I'll be back, I think I'll be back soon. And thousands of Canadians voluntarily return pandemic benefit payments they weren't eligible to receive. The government by its own admission has said that mistakes were made. The idea was to push the money out the door, get it out quickly, and yes, some people are gonna get it that didn't deserve it, some people got it that didn't deserve it, some 20,000, I think, uh, are people being investigated by uh, Canadians who reported them saying, you know, I had a neighbor or a co-worker who probably shouldn't have been getting this money, but they kept you know, bragging to me that they were getting it. It's Monday, October the 5th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Peter Van Dusen, CPAC's executive producer and the host of Primetime Politics. Good morning, Peter. Morning, Mark. Good to talk to you. We are expecting to hear from the new leader of the Green Party today. Annamie Paul was elected on the weekend and will speak to reporters today. Uh, What do you think about this choice by membership of the Green Party? And... um, and is it, uh, this This has got to be one of the biggest sets of shoes to fill because the Green Party and Elizabeth May were so synonymous for such a long time, especially when she was the only member of Parliament. Um, what? Uh, how difficult a job is it going to be to replace Elizabeth May and take this party to another level? Well, I think that's the big challenge, obviously. Um, Annamie Paul very impressive woman with a, a, a very impressive CV, uh, replacing another very impressive political leader in this country, in Elizabeth May. You know, nobody works harder, uh, from my experience in covering politics for the last uh, two or three decades that, uh, than Elizabeth May. I mean, she sort of um, exemplifies trying to build from the bottom up a grassroots party, and she's sort of never given up the fight 14 years as uh, or so as leader of of the Greens. So, yeah, there's a, there, there are big shoes to fill, and I guess what I'll I'll want to see is exactly. And she talked a bit about this. Uh, I watched, you know, CPAC covered the the leadership reveal, if you will, on Saturday night, and I watched her news conference, and she, um, you know, she talks about how to grow the party and how to make people feel that the Greens are really a, a party that. You know the policies that Canadians hear about today: pharmacare and and uh, a universal basic income. Those are things the Greens have been talking about for years. And I think the party made a decision to pick somebody who is closer to the middle. There were some uh, members of the party who really wanted to move it uh, hard to the left. And instead, uh, when the votes were all counted, it took eight rounds. But when the votes were all counted, they picked someone who's a little closer to moderate, probably closer to the vision of Elizabeth May. And in fact, Elizabeth May. Uh, was an enemy Paul supporter early on in the campaign, uh, even though she was supposed to stay distant. I mean, it was clear that uh, she liked uh, enemy Paul. And, you know, the party's come down on the side of someone who's probably going to, you know, maintain more or less, you know, the 
the sort of audience the the Greens are looking for is is to is to you know pick Canadians from all the other parties. I remember having numerous conversations with Elizabeth May, and I would always say, you know, what, you know, what are the Greens? Are they left? Are they right? She would say, we're we're none of those things. We mm. are, you know, we have policies that attract people on the right in terms of fiscal policies. We have policies that attract people on the left. Uh, we don't like to be labeled into one of those. Um, into one side or the other. So enemy policy seems like the same kind of um, new leader that will replace Elizabeth May. But I, I think the challenge is going to be Elizabeth May has, uh, I think, worked as hard or harder than any political leader I've ever known at trying to build the party. And the parties in the last election was at 6 6.5% in the polls. I'm not sure how they grow beyond that. Uh, with even with a new leader, uh, it would have to be a um, you know a, a lot of it would have to be personal appeal because on the policy side, I don't see enemy Paul making a lot of changes from you know from where Elizabeth May was taking the party. And although they'll always talk about it being a grass you know from the bottom up, not the top down, members decide the policies of the Green Party. But uh, I'll, I'll be watching to see exactly what's her plan to 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 work harder and to draw more people in than Elizabeth May was able to do in her time in office. It'll be very interesting to watch. We'll see what uh, what that brings, a new leader on the political scene and the first black woman to lead a federal political party. Uh, and so we'll, we'll watch and see what happens there. Uh, let's turn to the coronavirus crisis on a couple of fronts. First of all, uh, what's happened in the United States, of course, is it, it's not a Canadian story. The president testing positive for the coronavirus and and all of the developments that have resulted from that. A lot of Canadians, of course, are watching it. Anything that happens in the United States has relevance here. Does it contrast in some way how this coronavirus storyline has unfolded in the U.S. versus Canada? Does it highlight that once again? Oh, I think it really does. And I think that's the way Canadians are looking at it. I mean, everybody wants to see, you know, ultimately where we're going to be on the health of the U.S. president. But it's an absolute contrast. Political leaders from all stripes in this country have, um, you know, largely deferred uh, to the science, largely deferred to the experts, and have been mostly in lockstep with all of that. Yes, there's been some criticism from conservatives and others about, uh, you know, the uh, the actions taken by Health Canada and the the reliance on information from the WHO, but not as rapidly as we've seen on the U.S. side. Um, and I and I, I think it's going to be interesting this week to see uh, exactly what happens on the U.S. side and what happens with the U.S. president. But I think Canadians look at this and say, you know, we are, you know, it's it's really I think sort of frightening to watch what's what's happening on. The U.S. side with the developments there, because there, there's been an active campaign, uh, essentially, from the White House and the administration in the United States to downplay the seriousness of the pandemic, downplay the idea of masks, downplay the idea of precautions, downplay the idea of distancing and who's safe. And uh, now look where we are. We have, uh, you know, the U.S. president uh, facing a challenge, a personal challenge in, in dealing with this. And I think Canadians are looking at this and saying, you know, um, you know, check one of these two boxes. Do you want to fight the coronavirus the way it's being fought in the U.S., or do you want to fight it the way it's being fought in Canada? And you get the sense that you know, the vast majority of Canadians would come down on uh, the way governments and, and, frankly, political parties, provinces, premiers 
have been handling it in this country, which is to take it very seriously and defer largely to the experts on what we have to do to stay safe. One of the other things that's happened, of course, in Canada has been an extraordinary uh, dispersal of benefits. And one of the angles that has resulted from that is that apparently Canadians have made more than 830,000 repayments of emergency benefits to which they were not entitled. There are also reports that there are thousands of, of people who have been accused by others of having having made some claims that they didn't deserve. But there's an extraordinary number of payments that effectively have been reimbursed voluntarily, which is an interesting story in itself that so many Canadians were willing to return the money. It also, I think, probably reflects the nature of of this kind of emergency response, that it it was not put together with a lot of forethought and planning, naturally, because it was a crisis, that it was hastily assembled and enacted, and so therefore mistakes were made. Yeah, it's clear. That, but, you know, I mean, it's the government, by its own admission, uh, has said that mistakes were made. The idea was to push the money out the door, get it out quickly. And yes, some people are going to get it that didn't deserve it. Some people got it that didn't deserve it. Some 20,000, I think, uh, are people being investigated by uh, Canadians who reported them saying, you know, I had a neighbor or a co-worker who probably shouldn't have been getting this money, but they kept you know, bragging to me that they were getting it, and that shouldn't be on, and you need to investigate them. So, But look at that number, some 20,000, and that pales in like, really pales in comparison to the 830,000 repayments that have taken place. And uh, in some ways, you know, uh, yeah, were, were the programs badly designed to allow it to happen in the first place? Uh, sure, that's what it looks like. And the government acknowledged that, that we just got the money at the door. But it says something, uh, I think, kind of interesting about Canadians that, yeah, okay, I got money I shouldn't have got, I uh, shouldn't have received, I'm going to send it back. Uh, I don't. We don't know the amount, uh, which I think we, you know, is it a lot of money? Is it a little bit of money on these repayments? But the fact that uh, I think the government was rolling the dice on this mark and saying we're going to send it out the door, and we're going to, you know, we're going to look for fraud and problems later. We're going to we're going to rely on Canadians, and the messaging was there fairly early on. You'll recall it said, look, we're sending money, and if you don't think you should get it, uh, put it aside, hang on to it, and be prepared to repay it. Uh, when we evaluate all the criteria and you look at it and say, you know what, I, I went back to work, I got my shifts, I didn't need the money, shouldn't have received the money, so I'm sending it back to you. So they had messaged that to Canadians, and I'll be curious to uh, to find out exactly, you know, digging a little deeper, exactly how these repayments were made, who repaid them, where did the money come from. But in a lot of ways, it looks like the government took a flyer on the honesty of Canadians, and it looks like it might have paid off. Just quickly, as we wrap up, Peter, um, there will be some people who are saying, okay, if the government is is erring on the side of getting help out the door quickly and fixing things afterwards, then why has there not been some replacement for the rent relief for uh, for small businesses, for commercial uh, renters? Uh, because there's been a bit of a lapse now between the previous program and whatever's going to replace it. Yeah, this one's interesting because, I, you know, uh, arguably of the, I don't know, who, uh, you know, I can't keep a count now. It's uh, it, it's more than half a dozen, probably, probably a dozen different federal programs. And uh, most people probably agree that for the most part, they, they worked for the most part. There were problems with some. This is the one that's kind of got a big fail kind of written around it. There wasn't much take up. Uh, 
very, you know, relatively speaking, a small percentage of the available funds went out because, you know, this is the, the rent subsidy program. Landlords had to sign on to it so that uh, they must have, they had to sign on first so that tenants could, uh, business tenants could sign on as well and make a payment and the government would join in. But a whole lot of landlords didn't, didn't, uh, you know, pick up the program. Uh, they found it complicated. They, they found it didn't work a whole, so that froze out a whole lot of tenants who didn't benefit either. So th- this is one that, that seems, you know, from a lot of people I've talked to from the very outset, the, the whole design was flawed and the government never did sort of fix it. And now it's expired, expired at the end of September. And a lot of small businesses in this country are barely hanging on or are not hanging on anymore. And a lot of them are pointing to the fact that the government did not come out with a replacement quickly and did not fix this thing when it was clear that it was broken. And whatever they came out with next might be too late. Uh, but the government keeps promising it's coming and saying we we are aware of the, the hardships for small business and we've got a program coming, but it still hasn't arrived yet. And it, you know, as much as they say, a matter of days, I've been told it's coming, it's coming. Uh, a lot of businesses don't have yeah. days, didn't have hours, and uh, don't have minutes to hang on. So it, it's going to be too late for many of them. All right. We will see what happens as we start another week in Canadian politics. Peter, thanks so much for joining us today. Good to talk to you, Mark. We'll talk again soon. That's CPAC's Peter Van Dusen. I talked to uh, Premier Legault about this, and uh, he said it was very, very confusing uh, to the public. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Toronto Star, an editorial calls on governments to get on the same page when it comes to fighting COVID-19. The Star writes, In the first wave, we mostly heard a clear and consistent message from the top. Public health officials were on the same page, and it helped to rally support for collective action. But now that we're well into the second wave, the message is fragmented and confusing. Public trust is eroding, and at just the wrong time. If the future course of the pandemic really does depend on our collective actions, it would be helpful to have more than broad advice on how to conduct ourselves. In an editorial, the Toronto Sun argues, we should move forward without fear. The Sun writes, this is not to say we drop our guard fighting COVID-19. We support wearing masks, practicing physical distancing, and doing everything we can to protect our vulnerable and strengthen the healthcare system. But it's also important to keep the big picture in perspective and empower people to move forward with their lives without fear. In the Globe and Mail, Peter Donolo and Jason McDonald argue that with voting under attack in the United States, Canada must recommit to democracy. They write, For the first time in American history, the president himself is openly leading the attack on democracy. For Canadians, it's like being bystanders to a catastrophe. But when a neighbor's house is ravaged by fire, it's a good time to fireproof your own home. When democracy is under attack by the leader of our neighbor and closest ally, we need to renew our own country's commitment to the inviolability of the vote and to universal suffrage. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The Prime Minister will chair the Cabinet meeting and then hold a media availability at noon Eastern time with Canada's Chief Public Health Officer, Dr. Theresa Tam, and the Deputy Chief Public Health Officer, Dr. Howard Najoo. At 7 p.m. Eastern time, the Prime Minister will participate in a virtual town hall with teachers hosted by the Canadian Teachers Federation to mark World Teachers Day. 
The Green Party will officially announce the results of the leadership contest during a live event in Ottawa, and the new leader, Annamie Paul, will speak to reporters. And Agriculture Minister Marie-Claude Bibeau will make an announcement in Ottawa about the Emergency On-Farm Support Fund. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Monday, October the 5th. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.